Well, today we get, to, we get to talk about suffering. Everyone loves that topic. So hopefully you got your Bible. If you don't have a Bible and you have phenomenal eyesight, you can read it on the screen. All right. First Peter, there in 4, starting in verse 12. Peter writes, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is the time of judgment, for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Suffering. Everyone loves suffering, eh? Not, not so much. But let, let's have a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at some uh, principles from here that, that will help us uh, to suffer in the right way uh, and with the right attitude. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, uh, we're so grateful. So grateful just as Stefan reminded us uh, just of all you've done for us. You know, not just as Christians, God. We are such, we're in such a privileged position in you, God. Uh, but also in life, God, obviously, we're, we're very blessed just to be able to meet together, Father. And we do pray, God, that you continue to uh, bring healing to the world, God. Uh, we do pray so much uh, for the world around us, God. Uh, we, we pray that, that during these challenging times, God, that, that many people, uh, us included, God, can have the foundations of our lives shaken, God. That we can see that we are but mere mortals and that we desperately need you. Be with us here and now as we, as we look at Peter's instructions to, uh, to us, God, separated across the, the centuries, Father. We pray, God, that you help us, God. Help us to, to grasp the perspective that we are meant to have and, and to have the, the endurance and the faithfulness to you that's necessary for life, God. Be with us. May your spirit move among us, God, opening up the eyes of our hearts and helping us to see uh, with great clarity your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Look, it is a, a great passage, and, and you know, just as all you know, all Bible is, you know. But uh, suffering is one of these topics that's a uh, it's a challenging one, and we're not going to exhaustively look uh, at suffering uh, today. Uh, we we covered it a fair bit if you were with us when we looked at Romans chapter eight. Uh, if you remember back to that, or you can listen to it on the on the podcast online uh, where we did dig into it a, a fair bit, you know. But I do think. As we as we as we look at Peter's words, I think we probably need uh, a a maybe a, a change, slight change of perspective. Sometimes we read, uh, especially if you've been going to church a lot, you you, you read passages like this and Peter's whole book because a pretty big treatise on on suffering, uh, and even what he says there in terms of you know your enduring fiery trials. And sometimes we can have a, a glorified view of the first century. Okay. Uh, the, the early church. The early church, without a doubt, was, was persecuted, and Peter himself uh, will eventually be crucified by, by the Roman authorities. But by and large, the, the church as a whole uh, didn't have widespread persecution coming against them. Uh, 
right? Uh, there, there were times, there were waves of persecution, uh, but, but if you just skim with me back a little bit in, in 1 Peter itself, you can get a, a glimpse of kind of what Peter is talking about in terms of the fiery trials, the suffering they were going through, right? Uh, back in, just in chapter 4, but earlier verses there in verse 4, Peter wrote, he says, they, talking about the world, are surprised you not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Right? So part of the fiery trials that he's talking about is simply the fact that as Christians, you live a different way. Right? You don't make the same choices as those in the world uh, make. And sometimes uh, the world will react negatively to you about that. They'll laugh at you or heap abuse on you. Right? A little bit further, in, you know, back towards the beginning of, of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 14, he talks about that they made the, the world was making threats. Right? Verbal threats towards, towards the church. Verse 9 of chapter 3, that they were insulting Christians. Right? Chapter 2, verse 12, he, he talks about how the world at times will accuse you as a Christian of doing wrong. Right? Uh, you know, and, and so you think about this, because sometimes we can, we can read this and we can almost uh, defeat ourselves before it even begins, because we glorify uh, you know, that Peter is saying this as you know, their song leader is being burned at the stake. Right. Amen. We're glad that's not happening. Right, Trev? You know, but don't get me wrong. There were periods of that. But in general, I mean, I think what they're going through is probably very similar to what a lot of us go through. Have people abuse you, have people laugh at you, have people at times, you know, uh, have a go at you or abuse you or threaten you or just simply insult you or laugh at you. Right. That's kind of what Peter is talking about. And that that didn't not to minimize that. That's not pleasant. Right. We, we tend to all have a little bit of pride in our hearts and we like to be liked. And so Christianity obviously brings us into tension with the world and, you know, insulting. The, you know, people don't like you when they insult you. You may think any attention is positive attention. Insults are not positive attention, right? But they are very good for your heart, as we'll talk about, right? But Peter's call here is very difficult. You know, he says, look, this is happening. Don't be surprised. Though. Don't be surprised when any people insult you. Don't be shocked. Right? Don't be astonished. In fact, rejoice when it happens. That's not easy. You ever have someone heap abuse on you and you just think, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Hashtag life goal achieved, right? Probably not, right? Uh, you know, it's very deeply counterintuitive. And then even verse 16 of, hey, don't, don't be ashamed. When the world rejects you, when the world threatens you, when they abuse you, when your when your friends, your coworkers, your family, or simply a stranger that you're sharing your faith with on the on, on the street, when they uh, laugh at you or abuse you, don't be surprised. In fact, rejoice, and for sure, don't be ashamed. That's not easy. That's hard, right? That's not how we often want to to react, uh, you know. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It's kind of Peter's keys for how we can do that. Right. But before we do that, you know, there is uh, Peter has a little bit of an asterisk. You guys know what an asterisk is? It's on the screen there. Right. The big the big dash. OK. Uh, you may be wondering what in the world is Liverpool doing up there? L- Liverpool to congratulations to them. They, they've won the Premier League. And as yes. you know me, I'm a Man City fan. And unfortunately, a few of us haven't seen the light and are still, you know, Liverpool fans, you know, but. Jurgen Klopp, the manager, he says, usually I do not pay too much attention to what everyone is saying around us. Now, I've had a lot of time to read and hear a lot and see a lot. I had to Google the word asterisks because I only knew the word from the comics. 
uh, right? And, and, and so, well, the reason he was doing that is because people were saying it's a shortened season, doesn't really count, you know. Uh, maybe we should just end the season and call it, but no, they didn't do that, right? But, but an asterisk is an important thing, right? Again, thankfully to Liverpool, there, is not, there isn't one on their, on their championship, but it's an important thing. Right? It's telling you, it's alerting you that there are some terms and conditions that you better be aware of. Right? That there's some fine print that you should probably take the time to read. And Peter's instructions here uh, are heavily full, heavily laden with some fine print. Right? Uh, and, and maybe the asterisk, if you want to look at it that way, uh, that, that he, he puts throughout this paragraph is, is to help us understand he is not talking about self-inflicted suffering, right? He's not talking about self-inflicted suffering. And you see that a couple times, right? Verse 13, he says, And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So, so the suffering that he's talking about that you should not be surprised at, that you should rejoice when you endure it, and you for sure should not be ashamed of, is when you're suffering kind of how Christ suffered. Now, Christ didn't suffer because he was sinful, Christ didn't suffer uh, because he said the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? Christ didn't suffer for those reasons, right? And we got to understand that, right? Also, verse 14, he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Sometimes we are insulted because we don't resemble Christ, right? And, And we can think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm being persecuted. No, you're being self righteous. And people are reacting to that. That's a big difference, right? It's important to understand that. Not always easy, but important to understand, right? Uh, Verse 15, again, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler, right? Uh, Again, Peter's going out of his, I mean, we didn't, you know, it's not a very big paragraph, but over and over he's telling us, look, you got to understand, yes, there is a time and a place and a type of suffering that, that should cause you to not be surprised, that should enable you to rejoice, and for sure you shouldn't be ashamed of, but it's not, it's not for suffering because of your own actions. Right? That's a very, very different type of suffering, and it demands a very different response. Right? Uh, any suffering that comes our way because of things we deserved is not what he's talking about. You know, and if we find ourselves in that kind of situation where we are suffering along the lines uh, of, of, you know, what Peter's talking about there in verse 15, like I said, our response needs to be different. Right? And you don't have to turn there, but Luke 23. You know, verses 39 through 41, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's having a little conversation with, with, with the two thieves that are there with him or two criminals that are there. Uh, in verse 39 of Luke 23, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You know, this one criminal's response is the right response when we are suffering because of self inflicted suffering. And, 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 and his response is, is, is the opposite of what Peter is talking about in our text because his suffering is not the same as what Peter is talking about in our text, right? The, the, the way to respond in the midst of self-inflicted suffering is repentance, right? 
And, and, and a big indicator of repentance, of godly sorrow welling up in your heart is alarm. Not, you know, he's saying, don't be surprised. Godly sorrow is alarm. It's like, man, what I'm seeing, what my eyes are being opened to, man, that's scary. Right? There's surprise there. Alright? You know, he, 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 you know, if, if you're in the midst of self-inflicted suffering, right? Uh, you know, we, we, we should have not rejoicing, but sorrow and mourning. Not proud of what we've done, but man, a contrite heart, a broken heart about what we've done. Right? And instead of being unashamed, we should be full of shame, blushing about the sin in our lives. That's the kind of suffering, self-inflicted suffering. That's a response we need to have, and that's one of repentance. The suffering that Peter's talking about, like I said, is suffering along the lines of the way of Christ. He's mentioned this either, even earlier in chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. The second half of that sentence is what we're talking about this afternoon. Right? Suffering for doing good. You're suffering for doing wrong? You're suffering because you run your mouth? You're suffering because you haven't dealt with the pride in your heart? You're suffering because you react to people? That, that, that warrants repentance. All right? We're talking about suffering for doing good. Amen? All right, asterisks out of the way. Congrats to Liverpool. All right, so how do we respond to suffering, right? Uh, no surprise in our heart, much rejoicing, and no shame. You know, Peter gives us two very simple concepts, and if you've read much of the Bible, you probably have come across them before, right? Uh, the first is that of, man, we need to have eyes inward. We need to see this suffering, this fiery trial, as he calls it, as a purifying work of God. The purifying work of, of God, a purifying fire. Uh, and secondly, we got to have eyes upward looking full, forward to the glory to be revealed. So let's look at those two thoughts more in-depthly, uh, which ultimately will help us to respond to Christ-like suffering in the right way. Amen? In the right way, right? Uh, so fir- first here, eyes inward, right? Here's a picture uh, of, uh, of Cameron, my nephew, working in the, in the fires. No, no, who's a picture of, right? Uh, you know, but but here, you know, is this image, and this image that, that you see there on the screen is probably what Peter had in his mind. All right, the the process of of taking precious metals, putting them into the fire to burn off the dross, burn off the impurities, get out the lesser quality things, uh, so that it will be pure, uh, you know, uh, uh, metal and and of and of more value. All right, Peter's letter began with this concept. Right, one Peter one verse seven. It says these have come so that the unpro- so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All right. And so Peter begins his his letter telling them that hey, th- this is this is life as a Christian. That when you follow Jesus, uh, you're going to go through fiery trials. You're going to go through hard times, and then everything that's really sandwiched in between uh, confirms that. Did you think about everything we, we, we've talked about as we've gone through First Peter? Uh, uh, one of the major themes is that of live differently than the world around you. Right? That process of living different than the world around you purifies things in your hearts that would never be purified right? unless you were following Christ. I mean, think about it. You ever think about that? You ever think if, if every person you shared your faith with said yes, what would that do to your heart? 
I don't know about you, I would probably become uh, much more full of myself. But there's something about rejection. There's something about somebody saying no. There's something about even someone laughing at you for being a Christian, and then you continue to live as a Christian, even though you're getting negative response for that. There's something that purifies your motives and in your heart in that process that's not going to be dealt with any other way. And a lot of times we can, I think, overanalyze our motives of why we do things, you know, why are we, why we doing this, why are we doing that? You know, and we, we ourselves try to purify our motives. And that's a pretty difficult thing because, you know, when you begin to really think about the psychology of you doing that, that's kind of mixed motives in and of itself, even the process. And so how is, if you're approaching the process in a way of mixed motives, how in the world are you going to end up with pure motives at the end of it? Right? Maybe you're confused by that, but think about that and maybe you'll get some insight into that, right? But, but it's this idea that we're the problem and so you can't really be the solution. What do we need to do? We need to follow God and we need to live like Jesus. That is going to naturally bring you into greater hardship in life. Right? Naturally. You shouldn't be surprised at that because you read about Jesus and how did that go in his life? Fair bit of rejection, fair bit of mocking. Many times being in trouble with the mass, you know, the mass crowd and, and the people, uh, the popular people today didn't care for him, right? But there's something about that tension that's created in Christianity that is so magically good for our hearts. I mean, our egos, guys, we've talked about this. Pride is a seven-headed dragon that dwells within, you know what I mean? And, and, and when we try to fix it, a lot of times we even make it worse, but, but there's something about suffering as you follow Jesus, that begins to kill that pride. It begins to do away with that ego. You know, and there's nothing like a little bit of persecution to deal with your heart and to give you humility. You know, and there's so many great passages in the Old Testament that give us background on this, right? Uh, you know, just a few on the screen, as you can see there, you know, Proverbs 27, 21, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. By their praise, the good things people say about you. Do you believe them? It's testing your heart. Psalm 66, verse 10, for you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. It's an interesting thing. I mean, the psalmist almost seems excited at that process. Are you excited about that? I don't know. It's a bit hard, right? Zechariah 13, 9, a little bit different tone. Uh, then the psalmist, he says this, God says this third time. I will put into the fire and I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Right? And then one of the great ones that you can see there on the screen, Malachi 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. He, you know, this passage that's about ultimately about John the Baptist. Uh, and Malachi says, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. 
And you think about that passage, and again, all these passages talking about this idea of this is a work that God does. This is a work that God does. From, from Proverbs to the psalmist to Zechariah to Malachi, obviously to Jesus, and even here in 1 Peter, the Bible tells us over and over and over that as you follow God and as you walk in the way of God, you will become, uh, you know, a sometimes uh, an object of hate from the world. But that process is incredibly good for your heart. That that process is the process by which God will change you and, and purify your motives and change you from within. And this is one of the things about Christianity that often breaks my heart, though. It's because so many people, when they begin the Christian faith, they begin with this longing and this feeling of, 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 of joy as their life is changed and, and, and their sins are forgiven. Uh, and, and, you know, they come out of the waters of baptism, full of zeal, full of passion. And then they go out and they begin to live the life as a Christian. And they find it very difficult. Because going counterculture is difficult. Going against the current is challenging. And they quit. They walk away. G.K. Chesterton, one of the famous British guy, you know, he says, look, Christianity has, hasn't been uh, found tried and then found wanting. It's been tried and found hard. And people quit. But the tragedy is, is that when you quit, when it gets challenging, you are ending the very process by which God is trying to change you. The very process that is making you into something different, that is refining your character and making you into to a more courageous person, right? a more wholehearted, loving person. But if you quit when it gets challenging, that process is stopped. And the reality is you revert back. And the New Testament warns the reality is you don't just revert back. You end up worse than you were before. The vivid image that, that the New Testament uses is, is you become like a dog returning to its vomit. And if you've never seen that, have a watch. Go to the dog park. Wait for it to happen. It inevitably happens every day probably at a dog park. And it's disgusting. It's disgusting to watch an animal vomit up something and then go back and eat it. But that's the image that the New Testament says. Hey, you want to know what you look like from God's perspective when you start following him and it gets hard and you quit? You are like a dog going back to its vomit. You got to stay the course, guys. You got to understand that when the pressures of the world, the pressure to conform, when the insults or the abuse or the mockery comes on it, man, that is vitally good for your heart. And you got to stay the course. You know, and, and, and Peter, even within our context of this chapter, gives us some good material for, for why we should do that. I mean, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. God begins with us. God's already beginning the process of, man, changing you uh, as you are his people. And man, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, how in the world do the ungodly have a chance? If, you, if you're sitting in here believing the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved, you've got to read more Bible. You've got to read more Bible. Because this is a passage that, that challenges that. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved. Man, if that's difficult. Because time and time again, the Bible warns us, yeah, you can be justified. And God can be working that process of sanctification. But man, if you turn back, you will end up worse off. 
We've got to stay the course. And at the very end of our chapter there, you know, Peter says something that's quite profound there in verse 19. It's the only time you actually find this phrase in the entire New Testament. And he says there, verse 19, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. You know that phrase, faithful creator, that, nowhere else in, in the New Testament is that used. Uh, you know, and, and it's, a, it's a powerful image. And it goes right along the lines of what he's talking about here. Because what is God doing in your life? As you have opposition from the world and trials and it feels like a fiery ordeal, he is creating. He's refining. He's making you into something different. Ephesians 2, we, we are God's workmanship. You're, you're, you're a work of art that God is, is creating before our eyes. Let him do his work. Literally, he says there in verse 19, commit. Commit yourself to your faithful creator. Know that he is creating. He is not done. He is not finished. It is a work in progress. And so commit yourself to him. Entrust yourself to him. It's the same, it's the same word there, commit. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he's on the cross and he cries out to God that he commits his spirit to the Lord. This, this faithful is entrusting. So you know what? I don't understand what's happening. And I can't make sense of the ordeal I'm, ha- I'm experiencing, which was Jesus on the cross. But you know what? I trust that you, God, have a purpose. Some historians say it's even, you know, a quotation from Psalm 31.5, that, that word commit and to commit yourself to the Lord. And that Psalm 31.5 was a verse that every faithful Jew would, would, would recite before they went to bed. The idea that I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to commit my soul to God. Because going to sleep can't be risky, right? Less so now, right? Because we're in our locked homes. But man, you're, you're unconscious, right? Michelle can attest to this. You're unconscious. You don't know what's going to happen. The other day, I just smacked her in the face, middle of the night. I don't know. Maybe subconscious. I don't know. Maybe we're fighting. I don't know, right? But, but you don't know, right? And so there's a sense of, man, you got to trust. And Peter is closing out this, this concept on suffering by telling you, hey, Entrust yourself to the faithful creator. Entrust yourself to him. He's got a work he is accomplishing. You know, Elizabeth Elliot, she writes a great book on suffering called Suffering is Never for Nothing. Uh, and, and, and she says here, she says, the deepest things that I have learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deeper, deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things that I know about God. That's kind of a cool quote. But then you hear her story and you're kind of like, oh gosh, please no. You know, Elizabeth Elliot was a, was a missionary and her and her husband went to uh, eastern, uh, eastern Ecuador rainforest to uh, you know, serve and ultimately preach the gospel uh, to some of the indigenous tribes there. Uh, shortly after arrival, her husband was killed. He made a movie out of it called The End of the Spear. I'm sure it's a book as well. Uh, I don't know. That's kind of a rough start to a missionary journey. She stayed. She, just, she didn't flee. She stayed for years. Then eventually she does, you know, move, move, moves back uh, to, to America, uh, marries again, and her and her husband were, were, were great partners in the gospel. He was a university professor. Uh, four years into marriage, he died. And she just continued to stay the task of, of preaching the word, teaching people about God. You know, eventually remarried again, you know, and that husband didn't die until after she had died, you know. But you think, that's suffering. 
That's challenging. But she doesn't look back on it with regret. She looks back on it and thinks, man, valuable lessons learned. Wouldn't have come any other way. Got to entrust ourselves to the faithful creator. You know, secondly and lastly, you know, I think Peter tells us, look, we've got to have eyes upward. And what we need to focus on is that, that glory that is to be revealed. And he says there in verse 13, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's a great concept. I took this picture the other week. Uh, Michelle and I and the kids and Cameron and Lonnie went up north and went to Calberry. And outside Calberry is this pink lake. You know, and that pink lake at, at sunset, it's like, it's, you know, well, the whole day, but it's kind of wildly reflective. Right? And, you, and you look at the image of that, and, the, you know, I don't know. You think about that moment, guys, that Peter is talking about here, that, that there's going to come a time when, when God's glory is going to be revealed. We finished the sermon last week talking about this, right? And we've got to think about the end. We've got to think about the return of Jesus. We, we sing songs about it. We sing a song about it today, right? Longing for that day when the darkness gone and light comes. And Peter's saying, look, this is an essential thing to think about if you want to endure suffering. If you want, if you want to stay faithful, even when times get hard, you have to be someone who often thinks of this moment of when Jesus is going to return and his glory is going to be revealed. You know, 1 John 3, 2, you don't have to turn there, but the, the message translation of, of that verse, uh, John writes, he says, but friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him. And in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming stay ready with the glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. And I love that. Who who knows how we'll end up? Right? God doesn't, you know, it's not like it's not like an Avengers movie. But there's a little trail, you know, at the end of the trailer, there's a little glimpse, right? You don't really get that in the New Testament. But God says, hey, we should be thinking about that. We should be longing for that moment. You think about that moment. You don't want, you don't want the primary emotion that you're feeling is shame. Regret. Those are not the emotions you want to feel. You don't want to think in that moment, oh man, I should have done, or I shouldn't have done. That's not what you want. But if you're not thinking about it now, for sure in your life, you're going to to err. And you may even potentially err in in ways that, man, your heart is going to be filled with shame and guilt on this kind. But Peter's saying, hey, look, we've got to be a people who are thinking about it who are ready for his return, longing for his glory to to break into our life. And even verse 14 here of our text, he says, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is very similar to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, which is one of my 
favorite passages in the New Testament. And in that passage, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Paul writes, he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that image there of, of we are meant to be a people with unveiled faces, meaning no false pretense, no duplicity of life, no acting one way here and acting a different way there. Right? Transparency of life. Everything, you know, living your life fully conscious of God. That everything I do is done in the sight of God. That everything about me is plain in the sight of God. That's the idea of, of operating in your life with an unveiled face. And he says, when you do that, and you contemplate the Lord's glory, you are being transformed into his image. Contemplate. Thinking about, meditating on, turning it over in your mind, carrying it with you as you go. Again, getting it deep down into your soul. That real glory, right? Glory is kind of a funny word. It's one of those words you read a lot in the Bible. You know, like, define glory without using glory, right? And glory is, is it's it's weight. It's it's matter. It's what's real, right? And you say that's God is what is real ultimately. God is what matters ultimately. He's the source of all things. We may look at this world and we may be comfortable in this world and we may think this world is all there is, but the Bible is telling us over and over and over it's not ultimately the true glory though. That that's Jesus and that's God. And then when He comes and when He peels the, 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 the sky back as a scroll, when, when light breaks through the darkness, when His glory is, is, is going to be revealed, that moment is a moment we must think about a lot more than we do. I think so often, guys, we go day after day and we, we give very little thought. But it's something we're meant to think about. And meditating on and contemplating on that thought is ultimately what, what brings us into this relationship that ends up with us being transformed. And you think about even what Peter's saying here uh, in terms of thinking about that, that, that coming in relation to suffering. Because when you suffer... Oftentimes, all you can see is your problems. All you can see is the issue. All you can fixate on sometimes is a person who, who maybe is heaping abuse on you. And Peter's saying, no, no, no. You want to rejoice? Well, think about this. Think about this glory that's going to be revealed. Think about this glory that's going to come. And thinking about the age to come is such an important thing. You know, Jonathan Edwards, I don't fully agree with this quote because it obviously contradicts a little bit of what we're talking about here. He says, we are not weaned from the world by affliction, which is kind of the contradictory part, right? Or through fear, but are only weaned off of the world by the sight of something better. Again, I think Edwards may be going a little bit too far because I do think affliction, I think suffering, I think rejection of the world helps us to not live as if we are at home in this world. Okay? You know, but maybe he's... he's uh, overstating it to try to help us to see that that is all, that as it is often true, the key in our lives is not a bigger no, but a bigger yes. Right? And if you haven't figured this out in terms of letting go of stubborn sins, a bigger no is not always the solution. Right? But a bigger yes is a lot more effective. 
I mean, you could sit around and, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about all the sins you shouldn't be doing. But if you actually get out and live like Jesus, it's funny how a lot of those sins just kind of stop on their own. Right? It's a lot harder to, to walk around lusting when you're walking around proclaiming Jesus. Right? It's, it's, it's a lot easier uh, to conquer greed, not by, you know, just thinking, don't, don't love money, don't love money. No, no, be generous. Right? And so the principle of, of a lot of our solution is that of a bigger yes rather than a bigger no. It's true. And I think that's kind of what Edwards is driving at. Man, we've we, we got to be a people that, that long for something better. You know, and if you like reading, I encourage you. If you've never read it, read C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. You know, it's not about divorce. It's about uh, the separation of, of, you know, in the next age. You know, and, and he's a great writer. And, and, and the images that he conjures up in, 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 that, in that book of, of the, the, the new Jerusalem, of the glory of God that awaits us. Man, our hearts got to long for. And the more our hearts long for it, as Peter says here, the more we're able to not be surprised when we suffer, to rejoice even when we do, and for sure not be ashamed, because we know something better awaits us. You know, that's the challenge for us. All right? And I encourage us, if you're suffering because of your sinful choices, repent. All right? Repent. But man, if you're suffering for Christ, if you're suffering because you're out there trying to help people follow Jesus, man, don't, don't be surprised when it happens. If they hated him, they're going to hate you at times. Right? If they persecuted him, they're going to persecute, persecute you. Right? Don't try to analyze it, because Jesus very plain, plainly says in John 17 that people hated him without reason. Sometimes we try to analyze it. Well, why, are they being, why are they rejecting? Well, the Bible a lot talks about people are blind. Right? People are blind. Right? But we still got to rejoice. For sure, don't be ashamed. Continue to follow him. Because those tough times are changing you in ways that nothing else ever will. And as you go about it, you know what? You're going to long more and more for the world to come. And you're going to cast your anchor deeper and deeper into that glory. And that's going to continue to pull you forward in your walk with God. Amen? Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll stand and sing one final song. Father, we uh, we thank you. We thank you for Peter's words. We, We thank you for Peter's example, God. I'm even thinking about, you know, Acts 4, him you know, being flogged there by the Sanhedrin and, and then walking out of there rejoicing, just as he tells us to do, God. Father, we know it's very unlikely any of us will be flogged, God. But we do know at times people will mock us. The world will laugh at us. That the world will, will try to pressure us to conform into its image, God. And as we follow you, we'll, we'll end up in conflict with the world around us, God. And we pray in those times, God, you, you help us to not be surprised to always rejoice and to never be ashamed, God. Because we know that even in those hardships, you are changing us, you are molding us, you are shaping us, you are making us into something far greater. So you're purifying out of our hearts and our motives, God, things that we could never deal with on our own, God. And we thank you for that. And we pray you help us, God. Help us to commit our souls to you, our faithful creator, God. And God, we do pray you help us, God. To, to be a people that, that really do long for the age to come, God. We know, God, we, we are you know, blessed beyond what's good for us probably here and, and now, God. And we can become so, so comfortable in this life, God, but we pray you help us, God, help us to understand the glory that's going to be revealed. 
Help us to understand that that is, that is reality. That is what matters. That is eternal. Everything we see and we think is stable here and now is, is not. And it won't stand the test of time, God. We pray you help us, God, to, to really you know, cast our anchor into that next life, God. That in doing so, Father, we know it will help us, God, to, to continue to follow you in a way we need to. Father, we do pray, just as the church of Revelation prays, God, that you come and that you come quickly, God. And if that's a scary thought for us, Father, we pray you grant us repentance. And if it's not a thought we're not thinking about enough, God, we pray that you, you burn it into our hearts and our minds, that we can long for the day where the darkness is swallowed up by light. That's all in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. Let's all stand and, uh, and sing together.